Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Hey, I'm going to read from uh, one of my favourite psalms that I love to sit in from time to time, particularly this time of year when we're talking about time, Psalm 90, where it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout the generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures. And yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And my favourite line, verse 12, Teach us to number our days. That way we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series where we're going to talk about future-proofing your year. Future-proofing is a technical term. I don't know if you know that. If you don't know it, you would have felt it. Uh, You would have felt a lack of future-proofing if any of you have owned a mobile phone. I mean, like, uh, it's always a wonderful experience, like it has been this holiday period where I spend uh, one of my full days in holidays at the Apple store in Charleston because my mobile phone decides to bite the dust and it's only six months old, you know, and I just love the way, you know, there's this where you just use swap the things over these days, you know, it's, it's not future-proof. Future-proof is the process of ensuring that things don't become obsolete. I tell you another one where they really get you where uh, they don't future-proof is, uh, you know, those ink cartridges that you get for... Yeah, in printers, have you had that frustrating process where it's just, it's like they last about three months and they're designed not to be future-proof. I discovered there's a new um, thing that's no longer future-proof anymore, a little green document called a passport. Uh, if anything that this year's shown us, that the things that we thought were future-proof are not so future-proof. And my question for you this morning is, how future-proof is your life? Because when I look at my life, this is normally the time of year where if we do a series like this, this is where we all enthusiastically get out our journals, right? And we start talking about what our New Year's resolutions are. Who's already done their New Year's resolutions? Oh, look at you once already. We got them there. Unfortunately, I realised that my New Year's resolutions last year weren't all that (laughs) future-proof. Particularly as we're back into what feels like a little bit of history repeating itself well recent history that is because we haven't seen anything like this right we've we've seen this that that there have been these stories where uh, we realized the things that we thought would be stable have been so unstable and we've realized the fragility of life and we've realized as we've been through ups and downs that perhaps our greatest asset in life is not our assets but it's our time 17 weeks of last year showed us how precious time is. And uh, in those moments when we've been sitting there and it's each day passed on and on and on, and as we did another, another round of this for the 17th week in a row, as we realised, we realised our most precious asset is not assets, but it's time. But the problem with time is we're always asking the wrong question when it comes to time, because we're always asking, you know, what is the time? Don't we ask ourselves that question all the time? What is, what's the time? What's the, you got the time? What's the time? I want to pose to you this morning an even better question, a life-changing question, a, a reframing question, the sort of question that, that can totally change the way that we look at the way we future-proof our life. Instead of asking what is the time, what if we asked what am I doing with my 
What if every time we looked at the watch? Of course, we want to know what is the time. But what if that was a trigger for us this year to say, what am I doing with my time? And there's a, there's a principle out of this passage that we've just read from this morning that really um, will help us with all that we're facing this year. And I think the thing that we're going to learn from this passage is that context is everything. Context for how you use your time is everything. In fact, take the guy that wrote this psalm. Often when we think of the psalms, we think of David, King David, if you've heard that character in the Bible. We often think that he is the author of the psalms, but there's a unique and a different author in this psalm, and not one that we think of often, but he's a famous Bible character, and the author of this psalm is Moses. I don't know if you knew that, but that was new revelation for me. This is a psalm of Moses. I never think of it that way. And if anyone knew about the context of time, it's Moses, because context is everything. If I said to you this morning, the duck is purple, does that mean anything? Does it excite you? Okay, let me put it this way. What if you were in a spy movie and you were getting chased down by a whole bunch of terrorists and the safe word into the safe house of the door as these terrorists are chasing you is the duck is purple? That's a bit different, isn't it? So if we're going to ask the question around what am I doing with my time, it's one thing to ask that question, but within what context? Just saying what am I doing with my time is like saying the duck is purple. What context? What are we doing with our time? In what context? It's, it's It's the story above every story that gives meaning to how we use our time, and that's what it was for Moses, because if you asked what his deal was, Uh, when he was using his time, he had 40 years to ask the question, what am I doing with my time? If you know his story, gets sold into slavery, uh, uh, gets put put in with all the Egyptians, Uh, then he runs away from his calling, goes out into uh, the land, kills someone, hides because he's killed the Egyptian for 40 years. So 40 years by himself and he's done absolutely nothing. And then God calls him as a 70 or an 80 year old. In fact, I reckon we could stop the message there and just say just that lesson alone could be encouragement for half of us in the room this morning. <laughs> to realise that here is a guy who's, who's lived his life for 40 years with nothing and suddenly it's at that point that God calls him. Have you ever felt that moment where you're in your life? Maybe it's me in the season I'm in. I realise that I'm in midlife crisis mode now at 40. It's, I, I didn't realise that, you know, 40 is midlife now. You know, I'm, I'm still skateboarding. I'm still doing rad things. I'm still, right? <laughs> I can't be midlife. <laughs> and so I've begun to ask myself the question, what am I doing with my time? Moses is doing that at 80, and here's his wisdom from all of this. This is what he comes to, which is a gift to us this morning. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And asking this question totally changes the way that you can view your year, your resolutions, particularly if you're the good ones that have done the resolutions, because what he's saying here is that your time has been allocated, so how are you going to allocate your time? Your time's been allocated. Uh, I've got a sick way, a really sick little way of dealing with this or practising this exercise. Every time I drive down Delhi Road in Chatswood, down towards Chatswood from my place at Macquarie Park. I've got not one but two crematoriums that I drive past. And I happen to work there a fair bit from time to time. But every time I go past those places, I imagine that there's eventually going to be a day, and I know it's a sick thought, that it's going to be my service that's happening in that place. And every time I drive past that driveway in my head, I go, blip. And I say to the Lord, thank you, I've got another day. I've got an opportunity to do something with this. Lord, what are you up to? Can I be a part of it? Do you guys do that? Or is it just me? 
That's just me. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Write it online too. If you think it's just me or if you do it, if there's any one of you out there. Hey, there might be a few of you. I know there are a few because, Annie, you ran courses on this. There was, um, there was an author who did this and it became a very famous principle called beginning with the end in mind. And that man, of course, was Stephen Covey. So I know that I can't be that crazy when Covey said, think of your funeral and think about what you're doing. It's a biblical principle. What he was doing is he was saying, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How does thinking about your funeral, how does thinking about your allocated time make you wise? The first thing it does, it shows you, is that your time is a gift. Your time is a gift, so use it wisely. Verse 1 and 2 say, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout the generations. Before the mountains were born, or you put forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And underline that phrase, everlasting to everlasting, because what I love about this is this. I want you to get this this morning, particularly as we go into the year that we're thinking about. The bookends of time and therefore the bookends of your life are not from birth to death. The bookends of time are from everlasting to everlasting. And so what it means for our life is that of course there is birth and there is death. But Moses is saying, when I've come into a realisation of God, that he was everlasting for affinity into the past and he was everlasting infinity into the future, that my life is merely but a slither in between the two. And there he's lifting us up into the bigger story. The duck is purple. What he's saying is that your, your life is to be lived within the context, not of birth or death, but from everlasting to everlasting. The Apostle Paul If you see him in the scriptures, says it so well. He says, if life is just birth and death, then eat, drink, get smashed, get hammered, for tomorrow we die. So the Bible's very real about this. If this is all there is, then don't sit here and listen to me. Go and have some fun. (laughs) But Moses, Paul, Christians say, no, life is from everlasting to everlasting. And it lifts you up to say time is a gift, so use it well. Time can be spent or wasted. So time is not only a gift, but the, the, the other thing that can happen with time is that time can be spent. A time is a bit like money. Money can be a gift, and money can either be spent or invested. Um, time can be spent, so use it well. And what I mean by that is that the choices that you make now mean everything. The choices you make now mean everything because to spend something means that you can't use it again. Look at verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if you're lucky. The biblical term for that is if your strength endures. Yet for the best of them, they are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass, underline that, and we fly away. It's saying if you get to 70, you're lucky. And this life is fleeting and cannot be used again. Anyone over the age of we oldies, 40 and above, Starting to sense that already, like it's, it's fast. The other hand, I want to give you encouragement. If you're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of age, this guy shows us that your life still can be used for great purposes at the latter stage of life. But it's quick, so spend it well. And I don't need to labour this point, but I think you and I, you and I, you and I know when we have spent rather than invested our time, right? Because you know when you've spent time, and what I mean by the definition of time, you you know how you've spent time when time has been spent and it's away from you because it's summed up in a little word that I call regret. And we have regrets. We go, that was was a moment I can't get back again. 
And I, is, it, is it just me? Is that part of... That's been part of the grief for some of us over the last couple of years, right? Is that we've had moments where we realise that there's time that's been spent. I can't get that back. It's, it's, it's been spent, maybe not through my choice. It's been spent because I've been confined and I can't see family, family members. I can't invest in relationships. I think the single biggest piece of grief for single people in the last couple of years has been that time's been spent and they've lost opportunities to find someone to spend life with. And there's a deep grief associated with that. Some of us have grief around time that we spent because we acted like bozos. And we've come to understand the truth of that passage in Galatians chapter 6, verse 20, where it says, Don't be fooled, you reap <laughs> what you sow. And some of us, we have regrets because we go, there's seasons in my life where I sowed stuff that I wish I hadn't. I'd said stuff that I wish I didn't. I was absent. I wasn't present. I missed moments with loved ones and with family. And I spent my time. I spent my time, but more positively, the other way that you can use time is not just by spending it, but by investing it. If time is a gift, it can be spent, but it can be invested. And I think we've found that people have realised over these last couple of years that there's also been, you know, the positive opportunities that we've found, right? That we've found that in lockdowns and in the ups and downs of life that there's been ways for us to reclaim our time. People have found family time that they haven't had before. People have found time with their spouses that they haven't had time before. People have had time with friends or talking with family in a more concentrated way because they've been more present. People have found that in the... In the peel back of work that suddenly life has been reshifted and reprioritized, right? And we've found that suddenly we've gone from spending our time to investing it. And so if we reap what we sow, I want to ask you this question this morning. If we reap what we sow, and that if regret is basically uh, living a later now that wasn't spent well, then what can you do now that will result in a better later. I'll say that again. What can you do now that will result in a better later? Because as we go into this year, and as we go into next year, and as we stand, I reckon the years are going so fast, this is going to be, this is going to be January 2023 before we know it. <laughs> and I can tell you, as I've said before, I'm prophetic. You know, I can tell the future. I can see the future. I know the one thing that is going to be here in January of 2023. You know what that is in your life? I know it already. You. You're going to be here. <laughs> the one thing we know for certain is that you are going to be here, unless the Lord has other plans for you or not. <laughs> but you will be here. So work on you. Invest your time. What will you do now for a better later? Where will you invest your time? For those who like taking notes, can I, you, you want to take away for this morning as we get ready to finish? How about this? How about we start at this as we start this series off and we're thinking about time. Next week we're going to talk about um, thinking Kristen's bringing the word next week. That's going to be cool. Hearing from my lovely wife, she's going to be um, bringing the word for us. She's going to be talking about our thinking, our focus. We're going to be talking about uh, our investments in the way that you may not think. We're going to be talking about relationships. But this morning, we want to think about where are we using our time? And my question for you is, will you invest your time in people or things? We invest your time in people or things. As a kid, and some of you might know this story because someone bought me one of these and it sits on my desk. 
It's such a formative story in my life, but uh, as a little kid, I spent about six to 12 months, which for a kid is equivalent to Moses' 40 years. I spent six months saving all of my pocket money for this miraculous little metal thing that would go downstairs called a, a slinky. You guys seen them back in the 80s? They were so rad back then. And so I spent six months getting all my pocket money ready in order to get my slinky. And, uh, and I saved up and just as I saved up all my money, I was ready to go and I went off with Dad and we traipsed off into Hobby Co in the city to go and buy this slinky, handed over my pocket money, I got the slinky and I took it home and I, I played with it uh, over the edge of our two-storey balcony all day, up and down, up and down, up and down. And uh, that night on the first day of playing with my slinky, um, Dad's cooking the dinner and he, he goes to put some food in the bin, lifts up the lid of the bin and in the top of the bin is this carefully laid metal, stretched out, mangled slinky. <laughs> anyway, he sees this, he tells a story, he comes down to see me and kiss me goodnight and put me away into bed and, and he says, Sammy, I noticed that uh, your slinky's in the bin, buddy, and it's all mangled. Um, look, you know, it, it's all right, mate, you've, you've saved up with all your, your pocket money and I'll tell you what, you know, next weekend we'll, we'll go back into Hobby Co and you've been such a good boy, I'll get you a new one. And at that moment, the, this young philosopher said, no, Dad, Things are things, and then they're not. Things are things, and then they're not. A wise philosopher also said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, and where slinkies can't get mangled. That's the same amplified version. But what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying things are things and then they're not. Are you going to invest in things or people? If time is a gift to be used well, how are you going to spend your time this year? And of course, make the resolutions, do all those sorts of things. But what do you need to be doing now, this year, to craft a better later for you? You know, which is more costly? Because some of you are saying there are things I've got to do. You know, people are selling houses, friends are moving away. Seems like all of Sydney is going to the Sunshine Coast at the moment, right? All of us are grappling through these big questions. Do I move? Do I stay? Do I hang in? Do I go? Do I go for the job? Do I give up? Do I hang in? All of this is about how we're going to use our time. And some of these things are going to cost us to do stuff. People are making an assessment about their careers. I don't want to work as hard anymore. I don't want to be away from the family as much anymore. I don't want to put up with this stuff anymore. And we're wrestling, right? Because for some of us, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. It's going to be difficult to do. But let me ask you this. Which is more costly? What it costs you to reclaim your time or the time that you will never get back again? This is big. That's why we're going to do it over four weeks. Because for some people, there are big choices to make. It's a good time to take stock of your time. So as long as you still have the gift of this day, what are you going to do now? It means, and can I say Ephesians 2 says, God has prepared in advance the good works that he's got ready for you. It means there are hands that only you can hold. There are conversations only you can have. There are people only you can visit. It means that in the great mystery of the universe, and I absolutely believe this because we've just heard of John's story this morning of a guy who's walk, working at the bottle shop around the corner and a north side is saying, you should go to church and they find a spiritual home. God prepared in advance that conversation for John to be here with us. I see time and time again as a pastor situations where God is working ahead of us 
And most importantly, he's placing you into this context to give a word of encouragement, to give a moment of ministry, to reach out to someone, to keep an eye out for someone, to love someone, to be more present, to reclaim time so you can be with them. What is it that you will do with today? And of course, do the <laughs> do the resolutions. But first and foremost, may we ask this question, Lord, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let me pray. Father, I ask for each and every one of us as we move forward into yet another year, a year in which we would dare to believe, Father, that you are at work ahead of us, that you are already preparing things for us to do, not just blessings in our life. Of course, that can happen. But I love the reality of this passage, Lord, that it says life also is full of sorrow. And I pray into those who already may be in that space this morning uh, that you would continue to strengthen them by your spirit. But Lord, that uh, each of us, as we move out of this place or out of this gathering this morning online, <laughs> might know that our lives, our lives are... The duck is purple. It makes no sense unless they're lifted up into a greater story. We've been reminded of that, that, Lord, you have created us. You have placed us here for such a time as this, that you have placed us into people's lives, gardens, as it were, to tend and to cultivate. And I would pray over each and every one of us that in so doing we would be lifted up into that greater story, that in so doing we would be lifted out of our own small-mindedness, that we'd be lifted out of our own self-interest, that we would be lifted out of our own needs and our own concerns, and that the great miracle, Lord, is that you would capture us with the joy of the bigger picture, the bigger story that you call us into from everlasting to everlasting. I pray in this coming week you'd make us ever more aware of what that means this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the ways that we uh, continue to remind ourselves that we're a part of a story that's from everlasting to everlasting, one of the ways that we're reminded that Christianity is not a placebo is we take these um, funny little cups, which if you're a guest with us today, this is uh, how we do communion in the COVID age. And so um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do this. Or if you're not the religious type, then don't feel like you've, you've got to do this with us. But you're welcome to anyway. This, this, is, this is a great reminder um, that you and I have been lifted up into a story that's beyond ourselves. Every one of our lives is the duck is purple. Makes no sense until we're brought into this legacy that God entered the universe in the form of Jesus Christ. And he sat at a table, he called 12 friends to follow him. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And around from that table in Palestine, the bread and the wine, somehow here in yuppie crow's nest. <laughs> we do the same thing. Not because it's religious tradition, but because it should be a great reminder for you this morning that there is purpose and there is context to your life as a follower of Jesus. So may we remember that this morning as we eat, drink, and remember. Let's take communion. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.